Well, this is an extraordinary day, isn't it, in the life of this congregation? Uh, baptism of a covenant child, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, uh, the singing of praise to God, the preaching of His Word, the fellowship of the saints. It's a, it's a wonderful day of blessing in the life of this congregation. And yet, at the same time, it is both extraordinary and ordinary. Uh, we're doing things this morning that many of you have done perhaps thousands of times in your life. Uh, come to the table of the Lord's Supper, sung God's praises, heard His Word read and preached. This is something that many of you have done many, many times, something that millions of Christians are doing today throughout the world, and something that the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has done for its 2,000 or so years of existence. It's an extraordinary day, and yet a very ordinary day. And because we're observing the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, preaching, prayer, and song, I thought it would be useful for us, relevant for us, to ask ourselves why we're doing these things. Why are we coming to the Lord's table? Why are we baptizing a covenant child? Why is the word being read and preached? Why are we singing God's praise and praying together? The answer is because Christ has commanded us to do so in his word. And that brings us to a question that is very basic and at the same time very urgent. How does Christ convey or communicate all of his wonderful blessings to his people? How does Christ convey or communicate all of his salvation blessings to his covenant people? Christ is full of blessings. He has righteousness. He has eternal life. Adoption, the power to be sanctified through His Holy Spirit, assurance of salvation, peace with God, certainty of eternal life. How do these wonderful things get from Him, who sits at this moment at God's right hand, to us? We can answer that question in two ways. They get from Him to us inwardly by the power of His Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus said, I will send a helper to go with you to call to mind the things that I have said. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The life-giving power of Christ comes to his people by the work of his Holy Spirit. But Christ has also appointed outward means outward vehicles, if you like, whereby he ordinarily meets and blesses his people. We call these the means of grace. The word, prayer, and sacraments. What are the ordinary channels, the ordinary means through which Christ meets his people and strengthens them and blesses them and sanctifies them? It's through the means of grace, through the word, prayer, and sacraments. So what I'd like us to see very basically, uh, as I've already said, that Christ communicates, Christ conveys his benefits through the means of grace. We're going to see that from the two passages that are printed in your bulletin and then apply it to ourselves afterwards. So let's pray and ask for God's help and then I'll read. Father in heaven, we sang just moments ago, our hope is in no other save in thee. Our faith 
is built upon Thy promise free. O God, we pray that You would do for us by the Holy Spirit what man cannot conjure up in himself, and that You would come and meet with us and show us the preciousness and the power and the glory and sufficiency and the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O God, for Your Spirit to work among us through the means that You have given and promised to bless and that we would see in them what You intend us to see. Christ and all of His benefits. And as we give ourselves to these ordinary things, the Word, prayer, and sacraments, that we would see His glory and be transformed into His likeness. So God, deal with our hearts this morning. Cause Your Spirit to be our teacher. Oh God, deal with us in the innermost places. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first I'll read from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and then you can have a finger in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. This is the Word of God. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then if you turn forward with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'll read verses 41 and 42. These words come on the tail end of Peter's famous Pentecost sermon. We read in verses 41 and 42. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So far, God's word. Well, first, uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Christ communicates, Christ conveys His benefits, His salvation blessings through the means of grace. And we're going to do a dive into Matthew uh, 28, 18-20 that reminds me of grocery shopping. Uh, You may remember food illustrations seem closest at hand uh, when I think of ways to illustrate uh, Scripture principles. Sometimes when you go grocery shopping, you go for a comprehensive trip. You go to get everything you need for the entire week. You probably go up and down every aisle of the store. Uh, Other times you have a targeted mission. Uh, You're going to get milk or ice cream. Uh, You're going for one thing. And so we have a targeted mission here in Matthew 28. We're not seeking to be exhaustive uh, in this wonderful passage, but we have a focus. I want us to see what this passage says to us about the means of grace. Well, Jesus, before he ascends into heaven commissions his church. He begins by reminding them who he is, that he's the exalted Christ, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Paul says in Philippians 2, he's been given the name that is above every name. All authority is under his feet. And then after telling his church who he is as the risen and exalted Savior, he tells his church, what they are to do. And we find that in verse 19. They are to go and make disciples of all nations. They're to go and make learners, followers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But he doesn't just tell them what to do. He tells them how to do it in verses 19 and 20. How is it that they are to accomplish and pursue this mission of making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ? He tells them two things. He tells them in verse 19 that they are to baptize. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the word will go out, people will believe, and they are to be baptized in God's triune name. And as we see in the book of Acts, them and their household along with them. The mark of entrance into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is baptism. How do they make disciples? By baptizing. And then secondly, in verse 20, teaching. Teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus tells them, I'm the exalted Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You're to go make disciples of all nations. How are you going to do that? How is the gospel power of Christ going to go forward? By what means will people be brought into the church, be saved and be sanctified? He says, through word and sacrament. People will be gathered in by the preaching of the gospel, identified with God's people through the sacrament of baptism, and built up as the word is preached, as they come to the Lord's table, and as they seek God's face in prayer. By what means is the powerful gospel of the all-authoritative Christ to advance? Jesus says here, through word and sacrament, Christ's kingdom and power and salvation advance through the means of grace. We see that here in Matthew 28. And then we see, if you flip forward to Acts chapter 2, the first century church doing exactly what Christ commanded. By this point in Scripture history, Christ has ascended into heaven. He sent His Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And you remember from earlier in chapter 2, uh, Tongues as of fire have fallen upon people. Multiple languages are understanding the gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter stands up and preaches. Preaches a sermon from the Word of God, interestingly, predominantly from the Old Testament. Calls people to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. They call out, what should we do? Verse 37. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And we read that 3,000 were added to the church as a fruit of that preaching. Well, how did the Holy Spirit work? How did the Holy Spirit work through Peter's preaching in the life of the first century church here? We see in verse 41... They received the word and were baptized. They received the word and were baptized. And then in verse 42, we see that this spirit-filled church that heard the Apostle Peter proclaim the riches of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, this spirit-filled church devoted themselves to four things. Look with me in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. To the Word. To the Word. And not only to the Apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. 
to the fellowship, to the gathering together of believers, which could be a general reference uh, to believers living together one with another. But I think at least and especially in view, the gathering together of God's people in public worship. The apostles teaching the word, the fellowship gathering together to worship God. Then we see in verse 42, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now we know, say for example, down in verse 46, that this was something that the church did together often. They showed hospitality one to another. They had one another in each other's homes. But here you'll notice in verse 42, Luke uses the definite article, the, the breaking of bread. Not just sharing food generally, but something specific, something definite. And I believe here, and if it's any consolation, so does Dr. Guy Waters, that this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread. What does the church do when she gathers together? She devotes herself to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And again, I believe that definite article should have in mind not just prayer generally, but the prayers that God's people pray when they gather together. Peter preaches in the Pentecostal power of the Holy Spirit. And through what means does the Spirit work in the life of the first century church? They devote themselves to the Word, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the public worship of God, to the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper, and to the prayers. The the apostolic church devoted herself to the means of grace, these means through which the gospel advanced and the power of the Holy Spirit was made manifest. And what happened? What happened as God's people devoted themselves to these things? There were conversions. We read in verse 41 that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul. Other people outside of the church are being brought into the fear of God. In verse 47, people are praising God and finding favor with other people. There are conversions. Second, there's godly fellowship. Look in verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. This isn't to say that the early church relinquished their private property rights. It is to say that as the Spirit was working in the church, they began to give according to one another's need. One on this side had a need, and so one on this side says, I can fill that need. They had all things in common. There was godly fellowship, breaking bread together in their homes, generosity among the body. And then third, we see in verse 47, there was worship. What was the fruit of of the Spirit's working through word, prayer, and sacrament, conversions, godly fellowship in the household of faith, and worship of God. We see from Jesus' command in Matthew 28, and from the apostles' example in Acts chapter 2, that Christ conveys, communicates his saving blessings through the means of grace, through word, prayer, and sacrament, that the Spirit of Christ works through the means of grace, powerfully, the word, prayer, and sacraments to gather and to sanctify his people. Perhaps uh, an illustration here uh, would be helpful. 
It's an imagined illustration, uh, but I think uh, might help us get down into the, to understand what it is that Jesus and the apostles are teaching us here. Suppose you had an uncle who lived in a faraway place, an uncle of great means, and he decides that he's going to give his treasure to you, a treasure that consists in thousands of gold bars and, and coins from lands throughout the earth of art of great value and of wealth and gems of untold thousands. And your uncle says, I'm going to come to you from that distant country. I've hired the most trusted agent, my closest friend, to oversee the the transport of all of my wealth to you. He'll handle all of the legal matters, the, the transfers, the banking, he will be sure that everything that's mine comes to you. We're going to come in a ship loaded with these paintings and these gold bars and these coins and these gems. And these riches are so vast that I'm going to come to you over and over and over again. Each January, I'm going to meet you at the port to bring my riches to you. Friends, this is what Christ does for us in the means of grace. The wealthy uncle is like the Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn says, you remember, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, He has righteousness. He has adoption. He has sanctification. He has peace with God. He has assurance of God's love. He has peace for your conscience. He has assurance of salvation. And he says, I want you to have these. I want you to have these things. And I'm sending my my agent, my friend, the Holy Spirit, to bring all of these benefits from me to you. And the ship is like the means of grace. The ship itself is not the benefit. The wealth is in the ship. But the ship carries the paintings and the gold and the precious stones. Just as in the means of grace, when we receive the word, prayer, and sacraments through faith, Christ meets us in the power of his Holy Spirit and fills us with all of his riches. Christ conveys his benefits through the means of grace. In the time we have remaining, I want us to consider four applications. Four applications. First, if Christ communicates, if he conveys his saving blessings to his people through the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament, then you should attend the means of grace with faith. With faith. There's nothing magical here. That if you hit the Bible against your head, if water drips on your forehead, or if juice touches your lips, if prayers just come off of your tongue, that some magic occurs to cause you to be born again. These means must be received by faith. To come to the table and think, well, simply if I just chew on some bread and drink some juice... That'll be my salvation. Would be like going to the port, 
the ship arriving, the wealthy uncle gets off, the agent comes. You say, isn't this a great ship? The ship is great. They say, well, here I've come to bring you all sorts of blessings on the ship. I don't want to talk to you. I just want to look at the ship. The whole point of the ship is to carry Christ and his benefits to you. In order to have fellowship with Jesus Christ in the word, prayer, and sacraments, you need faith. These are signs and seals that point you to something greater. If you were driving to Jackson to go to the hospital, you'd find signs on Highway 20 that said, Hospital this way. And supposing you had, uh, I've actually had to do this from Raymond uh, when one of our boys in, in, a, in a not the only emergency room trip we had to do, driving down as fast as we could with our flashers on to try to get from Raymond to the ER. You see the sign, emergency room. Well, you don't get out of your car, lay your child down at the sign and say, well, now everything will be better. The sign points you to the place of healing. And that's what the means of grace do. They direct you, every single one of them, the word, prayer, sacraments, all pointing you in the same direction, namely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the preaching and reading of the word and the prayers of the people of God and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper have not resulted and you're latching hold by faith on Jesus, you've missed it. You've missed the point. You've missed their intention. These are means to bring you to the end of all ends. The Lord Jesus. And so you must attend them with faith. Second, because Christ conveys and communicates His saving blessings through the means of grace, you should attend the means of grace with devotion. With devotion and with consistency. People give many reasons to ignore the means of grace the word, prayer, and sacraments, to neglect them. Now, there are some people, uh, I know some, I'm sure there are some uh, beloved and dear to this congregation who would love nothing more than to regularly be involved in the public worship of the church, sitting under the word, partaking of the sacraments, praying along with God's people, and for a host of reasons, cannot. Firefighters, fires don't keep the Sabbath, you know? And so sometimes firefighters, they go out for our good on the Lord's Day. And there are firefighters, godly firefighters. I have one in my own congregation who's trying to wrestle. How can I get more out of the Lord's Day when I have to be on call? They want to be there, but because of a work of mercy, they can't be. Or people whose bodies make it exceedingly difficult to come to public worship. That's a real and difficult situation. So there are certainly cases where people who long to be under the means of grace, who long to be in God's worship, cannot But there are many who give all sorts of reasons to ignore word, prayer, and sacrament. Some say, I've outgrown those things. I've advanced in my spiritual life beyond preaching. I've heard so many sermons. I've sung so many songs. I've prayed so many prayers. Some people say, well, I have the Holy Spirit with me. I can worship God just as well on my canoe as I can in public worship On the Lord's Day. Some don't worship God because of animosity and unforgiven sin among the people of God. And others excuse their neglect by difficulties that they could overcome 
but they use as an excuse to avoid God's worship. And we could think of reason upon reason upon reason and would be ashamed, wouldn't we, to find so many of them in our own hearts at times. But the spirit of neglecting the means of grace, of word and prayer and sacrament, is a spirit of arrogance. Like the man who hears from his uncle that I'm coming to the port to give you all of these riches and you say, I'm staying home. If the treasure finds me, it finds me. Not only arrogance, but folly. The man who stays at home and complains about his poverty when his uncle has said, only meet me here and I will give you my riches. And aren't there Christians like that? When Christ has said, I'm going to meet you here. I'm going to come to you in the preaching of the word. I'm going to bless you in the prayers of the people of God. I'm going to deal with your heart when you come to the Lord's table and you say, no thank you. Or you say, I lack spiritual power and transformation. I struggle to overcome sin. I'm spiritually poor. And Jesus says, I've promised to give you riches. I've promised to give you riches. These are the means that Christ has promised to use to grow you up in Christ. And so you must attend them with devotion. Faith, devotion. Third, attend the means of grace with confidence. With confidence. Presbyterians talk about the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament. Not because we love tradition. We're thankful for tradition. We're thankful for history. Uh, I love history very much. It is not lost on me that part of this congregation comes from one of the oldest Presbyterian churches in Hines County, Mount Salus, all the way back in the 1820s. Tradition and history are wonderful things. But we don't simply limit ourselves in worship to word, prayer, and sacraments because we just don't want to change things. We emphasize the word and prayer and sacraments in worship because through these means, Christ has promised to bless us. And so we say, here's the promise of Christ to meet us in His Word and in prayer and in the sacraments. I'm going to put all my confidence on Christ's promise. I'm not going to seek to invent something that Jesus has given, no, uh, that has no promise of Christ in His Word. We devote ourselves to these means because Christ has promised to meet us and to change us and to grow us through the word, prayer, and sacraments. And so we place our confidence with Him. My friends, so many of you have been attending public worship for decades. And you should get up every morning on Sunday with all the confidence in the world That when you pray, God is going to hear your prayers. And that when His Word is opened in public worship, He's going to deal with your heart, whether you feel like He is or not. And that He's going to use these things to change you. And to help your children and your marriage and your indwelling sin that you desire to kill. And that He's going to meet you in these means. 
You can have confidence because Christ has promised that through His Word and through the prayers of His people and through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, He conveys His wonderful blessings to those who receive Him by faith. So we should attend the means of grace with faith. Attend the means of grace with devotion. Attend the means of grace with confidence. And then fourth and finally, attend the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacraments with delight. With delight. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Like a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. When shall I go and meet with God? David experienced in Psalm 63, my soul withers away, my flesh faints within me. But I will go to his sanctuary. I will go to his sanctuary. We should attend the means of grace with delight. Why? Why? Because Christ promises to meet you. Christ promises to meet you. And here I relying heavily on the 17th century javelin thrower and theologian John Owen. John Owen says, Worship, the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament. You know, Jesus tells the parable of the field and the treasure. He says, you know, you buy the field, you sell all you have, you buy the field, so you get the buried treasure in the field. You know the parable I'm talking about? Owen says, worship is like the field. And you love the field because the treasure's in the field. The word and prayer and sacraments are like Christ's chariot where he rides to you in spiritual victory. They're like his banqueting table where through his word and the prayers and the sacraments, he sets out all of his riches, his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his presence, his mercy, his assurance right before you and says, come and take all of it. You should delight in the means of grace because Christ will meet you in them. And Owen describes four reasons why as we conclude. It's in worship that our faith and love toward God are drawn out. Haven't you experienced that? Haven't there been times when you've come to the Lord's table, when you've heard the Bible read and proclaimed, uh, when you've participated in the public worship of God, that you find your faith being strengthened? And you find your love for Christ warming. Worship draws out faith, love, and delight in Christ. Not only that, worship gives God's people a sense of His love and the supplies of His grace. Haven't there been times in worship, not only when you find your heart drawn up to God, but you find His help and power coming down to you? When you find clarity and help on a matter that's plagued you the previous week, when you find strength to endure and persevere in a situation at home or at work because of the word or because one of your elders has prayed for the help of God in your life, you have a sense of his loving grace. Third, Owen says, you're reminded when you come to worship of God's past help. And it makes you want to be there all the more. You're getting ready driving in your car and you're thinking, you know, I remember that time when I was really at my wit's end and then God met me in his word. And that can happen again. And then fourth, 
Owen says, we delight in worship because it's through worship that we give glory to God. Isn't it so that on your best day, by the grace of God, what you desire more than anything else in all the world is that for God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be honored through your life? Wouldn't you say that that's true? On your best day, by God's grace, that that's what you really want. And when you give yourself to the public worship of God, to word, prayer, and sacrament, God is honored through your worship. And doesn't it bring joy to your heart to know that your Father in heaven is honored when you worship Him by the Spirit through the Son? Attend the means of grace with delight. So Jesus teaches us in Acts 28 what the apostles live out in Acts chapter 2, that Christ conveys, He communicates His saving blessings to His people through the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament. That should lead us to come to these means with faith, with devotion and consistency, with confidence, and with delight. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that these four things would be increasingly true of us as we sing your praise and prepare to come to the table. Would we find, O God, our faith and love being drawn out towards the Lord Jesus? Would we find by the Holy Spirit a greater sense of your loving grace toward us? O God, we pray that you would bless us as you've done in the past. And we pray, O God, that yours would be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.